Uh, I'm going to make a couple of announcements. We're going to talk about a few things, but uh, would you open your Bibles, please, to uh, the book of Psalms, the very first one, Psalm chapter one, or Psalm number one. I wanted to bring your attention to some things that are occurring uh, around the world, which are very interesting and things that we should pay attention of. Uh, we know in the book of Genesis that God told us that there would be signs uh, that were given to us and that we could look for specific signs and that some of those signs would be found in the heavens themselves. He said that he gave us the stars and the sun and, and the moon to be signs upon the earth. And so uh, tomorrow we have a really neat event taking place. It's, it's known as the giant moon uh, which is really cool. I thought, well, okay, so it's a cool-looking moon, but what's significant about it to me is the last time that it appeared uh, was in 1948. It's the last time it appeared, and we won't see it again until, they say, 2034, but it's occurring now at our time, and the last time we saw it was in 1948, and of course, those of you who know your Bible prophecy know that it was the, the year that Israel uh, was regathered and, and born as a nation. We know that the scripture teaches us that, uh, that the prophetic time clock, if you will, because I think a lot of times as Christians, we forget from generation to generation, we've been living life for the past 2,000 years. We've been experiencing life as it is. You know, we wake up, we do our thing, go back to bed and live 70, 80, 90 years, however long it may be, but uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, yeah. Uh, and then, but we go along, you know, but we had the promise in Christianity that there is a second coming of the Lord. And as we get closer to the time of the second coming of the Lord, we need to be aware of, of the scriptures and what they teach us as to when he's coming back. And we need to be mindful of those things because the Bible tells us that he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation, but he'll appear unto those who love his appearing. So we know there will be a group of people upon the face of the earth that are hungering and desiring for his kingdom. Amen. Now don't get mad at me. <laughs> I guess it's my job to make some of you mad. But <laughs> uh, well, I guess we just had an election on Tuesday. I, I voted. Amen. Uh, it was, a, it was a complete miracle. I actually changed the channel uh, to the, to the, uh, to the uh, communist channel. What is it? MSNBC. And uh, just because I wanted to see their faces, <laughs> I was enjoying it way too much. But uh, they were sitting there just stunned. Just absolutely stunned. Uh, Newsweek magazine. I don't know if you heard about this, but they printed 125,000 copies with the picture of Hillary's face on the cover, and it said, Madam President. That's almost akin to when uh, Truman held up that newspaper, Dewey defeats Truman. They jumped the gun. They were so confident of the result of the election. But when God puts who he wants on the throne, God puts who he wants on the throne. And there's nothing we can do about it. Now, I'm happy, but I want to caution you. Don't think that things are going to just be awesome now. <laughs> yeah. 
what we saw exposed in this last 15 months or so was the spirit of Antichrist at a level that I have not seen since I was a child. You had the entire Western world media focus, not so much on the one man, but the idea and the struggle of liberty, of freedom, and the difference between light and darkness, the freedom to serve and to worship God, to speak our mind. There is a movement across the planet that is moving and trying ideologically to suppress, really at the heart of it all, is the word of God, to keep us quiet. And I, I frankly wasn't confident that the actual election system would work. I didn't know. And while we must pray for our leaders, whether they're good or bad, the kingdom that I'm looking for, amen, yes. is the kingdom of the Lord. Yes. Now, we must as believers strategically meditate on why did this happen? Why did this occur? Why did it happen the way it did? What is God saying to us? What are we being allowed to see and to understand, to, to comprehend, to know, so that we can guide the affairs of our life in a proper direction, conduct ourselves in the right manner, uh, exercise our efforts towards the things that really matter? Well, like we said earlier, what we saw was an exposing of the media, we understand that the media, if you do understand, is controlled by just a few people who run major corporations around the world. They own multiple uh, television channels, internet uh, channels, newspapers. They're all owned by just a few people who have an agenda that are pushing the world towards a certain direction. Now, the Apostle Paul told us that we need to be careful as to how we view these things, for he said, understand this, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against human beings. This is really freaky stuff. <laughs> because the Bible teaches us our struggle is against principalities and powers. And then it says something really intense. The rulers of the darkness of this world, rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places or in heavenly places. So he says, when you view events in the, in the human condition, understand that what is actually happening is being propelled by a spirit or spirits that are moving human history in a direction that God has already foreseen. The struggle of the Christian will be to maintain his focus and clarity when these things are taking place. Jesus talked about the faith and the patience of the saints. When all hell really begins to break loose and it literally will cause us to question the very essence of our faith. When we've been taught certain uh, eschatological ideals or philosophies of you, that's a fancy way of saying the way people view prophecy. When all hell begins to break loose and you begin to wonder why aren't things uh, unfolding the way that I thought they would, Jesus talks about faith and patience. John talks about faith and patience in Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, right? He that goeth into, uh, takes up the sword will be led into captivity. And, and well, let's read that real quick. I don't want to quote it the wrong way. My God. I shouldn't have started talking in this story. 
<laughs> I always do that, get way off the subject, but I don't know, man. This has been going over my spirit. Okay, listen. Uh, Revelation 13. Look what John says. Uh, well, let's look at verse uh, 9, 13, 9. He says, if any man has an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And then he says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. It's an interesting thing he says there. Because Revelation 13 is basically the summation of where we're headed to right now. It's talking about a global military power that will arise in the last days. It's talking about a global political power that will rise in the last days. And it's talking about a global economic system that will arise in the last days. It's talking about persecution that will occur upon Israel and the church. We'll look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. I'll prove that to you. We'll look at verse 17 of chapter 12 to begin with. It says that the dragon, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 17, it says the dragon was wroth with the woman. He goes to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? There's two types of things. Those that keep the commandments of God, right? And those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Two different and distinct classes of people are going to be under attack prior to the coming of the Lord. He says that the enemy will be allowed to basically pierce the portal of the material world and come down into our dimension. He will immediately move upon those that have the commandments of God or try to keep the commandments of God. Well, we know that's not the church. We're saved by grace. We don't keep the law. We have the revelation knowing that we can't keep the law. We've tried and we failed, and so we rely upon the grace of the Lord. And that is our testimony, and that is what he says here, uh, those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God. But he first starts by saying, those that what? Keep the commandments of God. That's Israel. That's the Jewish people. So it's a twofold expression of the enemy and an attack of the enemy that is just ahead of us right now. Many of you don't realize this, or maybe you do. When Donald Trump gave a, a speech to the, uh, the Jewish League in Washington, D.C., place was packed. He made a promise and boldly proclaimed something. He said that he viewed Israel as having only one capital, and it wasn't Tel Aviv. He said that Israel has a right to call its eternal capital Jerusalem. And he said, if I'm elected, I will move the United States Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Wow. No presidential candidate has ever said that. They're afraid to say that. The entirety of the United Nations refuses to even acknowledge that, that they want to divide the city into three parts. But here we had a man saying, I'm going to move the embassy there. <laughs> Now, the rabbis in Israel, I've read some articles, said at that moment, they believed that his, 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 his campaign was empowered yes. with the spirit yes. of Messiah. Yes. Now, I'm not talking to you about he's a righteous man or an unrighteous. He's done some awful things, if you ask me. <laughs> he has, and he said some terrible things. Come on, let's not kid ourselves here. We want to tell the truth in church? He's a nut. He really is. 
but, but they're all nuts, man. <laughs> he, he's just a little less nutty than the rest of them, I guess. But, but, my, <laughs> and, and, but he was bold enough to say, I want to move our capital, uh, our embassy to, to Jerusalem because it belongs to Israel. Now, the rabbis say that when he proclaimed that on a national and global stage, that the spirit of Messiah began to move. Now, what do we know from prophecy? That Jerusalem itself needs to be an established capital of Israel. And the question of, I don't know if you know this, he had a conversation with Benjamin Netanyahu. And in that course of their conversation, he talked not only with Netanyahu, but Netanyahu had had a meeting with Vladimir Putin, relaying what Putin was saying to, to Trump, from what I hear, that the, the question that they have to answer is Israel has a right to rebuild its temple, to rebuild its temple. Mm -hmm. This is what they're talking about, folks. We never thought we'd live long enough to see that kind of conversation. We've heard it all our lives. Those of you that know Bible prophecy, that a third temple must be rebuilt. Why? Because it is said it is into this temple that that wicked one will come. Proclaiming himself to be God, he will cease, the Bible says, that he will cease the daily oblation and the sacrifices that will be taking place in this particular temple. So you can't have a temple in Jerusalem for the Israelis unless the world recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The fact they're talking about that now and the most powerful nation on the face of the earth is proclaiming their president is, president-elect, is that we're going to move our embassy to Jerusalem. What are you saying? I'm saying we're really heading down that road of fulfillment right now. Can you see? Are our eyes open? So we must understand in that context that what we must be looking for is not another tax cut. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have a tax cut. I mean, we have more money in our pocket. That's fine with me. Uh, but as Christians, we are called to a higher level of understanding. We're called to a higher focus. We must not allow ourselves to be swept up in, you know, the, the exuberance of it all. Yeah, it's cool to see some of those idiots you know, have egg on their face. I agree. But in the exuberance of this moment, let us not forget this world is not our home. <laughs> I, I honestly believe, and I'm not sure now, this is just me talking out loud, but I believe that we have experienced kind of a, a Jonah Nineveh moment where Nineveh was worthy of judgment. And if you don't think our nation's worthy of judgment, I don't know where you've been the last 20 years. Huh? We have shaken our fist in the, in the face of God from the Supreme Court to the White House to the, to the Congress, down to the city councils of most cities in America. We have rearranged what was once a moral society into an immoral society. We have proclaimed that it's okay to have uh, men marrying men and women marrying women at the highest level of power. This is an abomination in the sight of God. I know it's not popular to talk about, but we did it as a nation. And then what happened that night? Do you remember? The president himself had them light the White House in the colors of the homosexual rainbow flag. So don't think this nation isn't worthy of judgment. And it should occur, and it will occur. And it is occurring. 
But I still believe that we have a space. Right now, we've been given a moment of grace where if you've ever recognized that you have an opportunity to preach the gospel to your loved ones, to your friends, to whoever, now's the time. Because this window is not going to last. Remember, all world events go back to the nation of Israel. There's a reason. One, he's talking about rebuilding our military. Two, he's talking about moving our embassy to their capital. Three, he's talking about attacking Islamic extremism, radical jihadism, radical uh, you know, uh, Muslim warriors that are seeking to blow people up and impose an ideology of, of a false god upon the people of the world. All these things are happening at the same time. And so a space of grace is being given. A moment of the spirit. I know that people were praying. Again, I emphasize to you, that doesn't mean that I, I support this, our, our president in the sense that I agree with everything he said, everything he's done. I don't. And neither should you. <laughs> You've heard what he said. You've seen how he's acted. But who among us isn't guilty? Right? So my point is, I voted for the man, so don't get mad at me. <laughs> I was definitely not going to vote for Jezebel after that sermon a few months ago I preached here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but he, the administration, the nation. I, th- I, th- I heard Grandma, we were talking about this on the way here. They said that, that the difference in the election was 28 million evangelical Christians who didn't vote in the past election voted in this election. They didn't account for the power of that. They didn't see it coming. But I know that the Spirit of God, whenever populations move in a direction, it's the Spirit that's moving it. Remember, God has a plan. And that plan is going to be fulfilled. And so, while I'm happy, yet I'm happier still that what I really see happening is we're moving closer to the events. And they're going to happen quickly. As a person that's been used to preach evangelistically, I'm excited. My heart broke when I saw San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, New York City, Miami, Berlin, marching on the night of the election. And have been marching every night since then. Most of them young people. What has happened? Isn't it interesting that the young are wandering the streets as if they're a fatherless generation? No guidance other than the corrupt professors that they're exposed to in in our colleges. And so as a Christian, I look at that and go, oh, that's terrible. Yes, but at the same time, it excites me because I know the Bible predicts something, that we would have a fatherless type generation. And that into this climate, an anointing would be released called the anointing of the spirit of Elijah. Right? And that that anointing will come and that it is necessary. Why? He says, to turn the hearts of the fathers. To what? To the children, right? To their sons, their daughters, their children. 
and also to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. So a climate of, uh, is, is existing in the last days, we're told by scripture, where the family unit has been broken down. And it will, be, it will require a prophetic anointing, a, con, a confronting anointing. The kind that Elijah had when he confronted Jezebel and Ahab and the false prophets. We see the pattern and the type of that in John the Baptist just prior to the coming and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then his coming when John baptized him in the River Jordan. God sent John into the wilderness, separating him from the religious establishment. There was a word given this morning. I'll, I'll bring forth rivers in the wilderness. That's prophecy. That's Isaiah. <laughs> He's quoting Isaiah. That's really, ultimately, that's ultimately a prophecy, actually a prophecy of Israel proper, that it would be regathered at the last days. And Mark Twain, I think it was the one who said it, he visited Israel, and he said, who would ever want to live in this God-forsaken land? It's just nothing but desert. But did you know, since Israel regathered, several things have happened. One, which is really cool, uh, underneath the Temple Mount, I don't know if you've ever seen films of this, water began to flow. Underneath the Temple Mount. They were digging and exploring archaeological sites there, and they came across a spring of water that has continued to flood the underneath chambers of the Temple Mount and go out in the underground cisterns toward the Red Sea, I mean, the, 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 um, the Dead Sea. Amen. Why is this important, Brother Marty? Because <laughs> the Bible predicts that the Dead Sea will come alive when Messiah comes. So the earth is working in concert with the prophetic word of God. The moon we started out talking about. Moon's coming out tomorrow. Going to flex her muscles. Speaking to the people on the earth. Last time I did this, Israel was regathered. So God is speaking. If you have eyes to see, do you have ears to hear? What thus saith the Lord, right? So water's flowing under the Temple Mount. Mark Twain in the earlier part of the, of the 20th century says, who would want to live here? Now, in just 70, less than 70 years, that desert place has become the chief exporter of fruits and vegetables throughout the world in Europe. Israel exports more fruit and vegetables to Europe than any nation on the face of the earth. It used to be a desert, but rivers are springing in the wilderness. Hallelujah. Amen. What are you telling me? I'm telling you the land itself can sense that Jesus is coming. And it's healing its... Oh, you don't hear what I'm telling. It's healing itself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's healing itself. It's preparing for the coming of the king. See, John rose up, began to preach. What did the Bible say? It says that he would make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. Prepared. What was indicative of John's ministry? He never had a miracle. In the sense of, you know, like a healing or opening blinded eyes or any of those displays. His, word, his, his ministry was word-centered. It was built upon the word. The word was so penetrating that the Bible tells us people actually left Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Israel and went out in the wilderness 
to see a guy dressed in camel's hair who was eating locust and wild honey. Crazy looking dude, man. Oh, hallelujah. The power of the word that he preached contained within it a mass. If you understand what a mass is, it's something that's dense and weighty and draws within its weight the influence. It begins to draw things toward it. And they fall under the power of the gravity of it. That's what keeps our planets rotating around the sun. Well, when the word is preached at that level, it draws the spirit of people to it under the influence and the weight of it. And it says people began to repent. Roman soldiers began to repent. My God. Hardened Roman soldiers saying, what must we do? He says, be content with your wages and, and don't treat you know, people bad. And you know, other men you know, were just crying under the weight of the anointing. So powerful was, was his presence and the anointing on his life that the religious establishment went out to ask him, are you the Messiah? And what did he do? What was indicative of his personality? He points them away from himself in humility. He says, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal. <laughs> we talked about the, that being a type of Ruth, remember? Well, those of you that were here, remember when Boaz went and bargained for Ruth? Someone had to take off their shoe. <laughs> Which is, which is saying that I relinquish my right over the territory where I walk or the things that I rightfully possess. So when John says, I ain't worried to unloose his shoe, no one is. Because wherever he walks, he owns it. He owns it all, he says. That's why he's pointing to Jesus. Hallelujah. And he preached Repentance. This will be what we are looking for. This is how you will know the true message of God in this hour. The true preacher of God. He will point you to the second coming of the Lord. He'll begin to declare unto you that it's time for us to get right in our lives. Whatever that may be, you and God know. He will call for the repentance of God's people, which will affect the other people around them. That's what happened before Jesus came, right? The Jews repented, and the Roman soldiers repented. The Gentiles repented. He made himself of no reputation. What did he say? He must increase, John said. And of himself, he said, I must decrease. He was functioning under the spirit of Elijah. That's what the angel told his father, remember? Why are you saying all this? Because that's what's coming on you. You don't believe it yet. <laughs> You might not even understand it yet, but it's coming upon all of us. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What is that, brother? That's a fancy term, right? It means that all of us, when we got saved, were empowered with the anointing to go reconcile the sinful world and bring it back to God. All of us have been called to be evangelists. All of us. As a matter of fact, we've got it so messed up. The Bible says that when Jesus, before he ascended, he descended, right, into the lower parts of the earth. He leads captivity captive, and then he gives gifts unto men, right? Some, some what? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, 
some pastors and some teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints. For what? For the work of the ministry. Amen. So who's supposed to do the work of the ministry? You are. <laughs> My job is to come prepared to give you something so that you can add it to your tool belt so that when you go out there, you're able to, 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 to add to the church. The Bible says the church grows by that which every joint supplies unto the edifying what, of itself. It grows itself because of what we carry, the light that we carry on the inside of us. So what are we looking for? We're looking for, in this coming year, several things are going to happen. Well, this morning, I don't know if you heard about this. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. There was a 7.8 earthquake in New Zealand. They're having a tsunami right now, just as I was leaving. They had small waves, and as I was leaving, they said there's bigger waves headed to the coast. We were just there a couple years ago. It's really weird to read about it. What are you saying? The earth is groaning. We've got signs in the heavens. We got a tsunami taking place this morning. What is that? Jesus said, the sea and the waves roaring, right? Earthquakes in different places, he said. Pestilence, famine, a world in turmoil. He said, men's hearts would begin to fail them for fear of what they see coming upon the face of the earth. That means that conditions that we're headed into are so complex, that's if you actually get into the original language, are so complex that world leaders, people in positions of power, will begin to, to be feeble-kneed, if you will, because they don't have the intellect or the capacity to solve the problems that have come upon the face of the earth. So you have to ask yourself the question, what would cause the entire planet to have the kind of spirit that would welcome an antichrist kind of figure? And is that climate being cultivated right before our eyes? If we can see it. America is the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. We have more freedom than any nation on the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, what I was saying this morning, politically speaking, in other countries, I could get killed for that. <laughs> Seriously. They tried to do that earlier this year, pass laws that wouldn't let preachers or pastors say certain things out of the word of God. There was a mayor in Houston. Did you hear about her? Yes. Yeah. She tried to get them to submit their sermons to her office before they would preach on Sunday morning. Unbelievable. <laughs> so we see. Let's, let's stay in Revelation 13. It won't be much longer. I don't think. So what happens here? Verse 17 of chapter 12, we talk about that the enemy is cast down to the earth, right? The Bible, the angel says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you. What? Knowing that he has but a short time. 13, let's look, well, that was 12, 17. He comes down. That's where we read. We pick it up as he's come down into the earth. I believe that's where we are and have been since World War II, World War I. Remember, in AD 70, Titus destroyed 
Jerusalem. They crucified over a million Jewish people in Israel. The Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth and ceased to exist as a nation. This has never happened in the history of the world that a nation that ceased to exist for over 2,000 years would be regathered and form themselves into a nation against all odds. Now, the enemy knows that if he can thwart the established word of God, what God has said will come to pass, if he can turn that so that it doesn't come to pass, then then the whole kingdom will fall apart. Because God is not a man that he should lie. If he said something was coming to pass and it would fail to come to pass, then he wouldn't be God. This is why uh, (laughs) the devil anointed Adolf Hitler. He could see that something was happening amongst the Jewish people all over the world. And Hitler was empowered by a demonic spirit. As a matter of fact, when he was in jail, I don't know, they threw him in jail after World War I because he was crazy. And in jail, he tells a story in that book he wrote called Mein Kampf. When he was in prison, he says that the floor of his cell opened up to him. And out of it came a being of dark continents. These are his words. And he said, I surrendered myself to that being. It would only be a few short years later, he would be ruling the nation of Germany and plunge the entire world into war and set about to have a systematic extermination of the European Jew, killing over six million of them in the ovens of Auschwitz and Treblinka and Buchenwald and all those horrible places, driven by the spirit of the devil to do what? Make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. He knew that if he could prevent and destroy every Jew, that was Hitler's stated theory, right? He wanted to kill them all. The devil knew if he could kill all the Jews, then there would never be a fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave that said, in the last days, it shall no longer be said, blessed be the Lord God, which brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. But blessed be the Lord God, which brought up the children of Israel out of the four corners of the earth where I scattered them. So he promised that he would bring the nation back together in the last days as a direct sign to the people of the earth that there is a God. That no one can prevent him from fulfilling his word when he raises up and says, now is the time. Now the devil tried to destroy them in World War II. But all he did was create a climate of sympathy. Because when Eisenhower and and the Western Allies all moved into Germany, those of you who know your history, when they came upon those uh, concentration camps, they 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 abhorred it. They were blown away by how awful it was. And they took black and white film. We've seen the films of them, of them walking. Remember what Ezekiel saw? It was fulfilling what God showed Ezekiel. He took him by a lock of his hair, right? And he carries him to a place that they call the valley of what? Dry bones. He shows his prophet, I believe, the Holocaust. And he says, son of man, can these bones live? Hallelujah. When you see them come walking out of those concentration camps, wearing those striped pajamas they gave them, they look like skeletons. 
And Ezekiel told the Lord, I don't know, Lord, only you know. He says, prophesy to those bones. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you don't hear what I'm I'm having a good time anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. And suddenly when he prophesied to those bones, man, that, that leg bone attached to the hip bone and, and <laughs> that arm bone connected to the shoulder bone. And my God, they started walking. He said, I saw flesh come on their body and, and, and the spirit of life went into them. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then on May the 12th, against all the odds in 1948, the United Nations Resolution 248 proclaimed that Israel now had a right to become a nation again, and the word of God was fulfilled. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Well, how long's a generation? I don't know. 70 years? But there was another prophecy, right? He said, Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot of what? The Gentiles. That's the nations of the world. Until what? Until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So first, Israel was allowed to regather and has been regathering ever since into the nation of Israel. But the thing that Jesus pointed us to was that Jerusalem would no longer be allowed to be controlled by the Gentile powers of the world in the future, he said. Well, on I believe it was June the 6th, 1967, the Jews uh, in a preemptive strike in six days drove back their enemies. And the Bible, the Bible history tells us that they came into East Jerusalem and they were so afraid of them that the Jordanians dropped their weapons and fled. And Jerusalem was taken without a shot being fired. And the soldiers went running up to the Temple Mount. That's the first place they went. Hallelujah. To the Temple Mount and hardened Israeli soldiers who had seen battle began to weep and to cry how after 2,000 years, the city of David was now in the hands of the children of Israel. Oh, come on, somebody. My God. So it, we are the generation that has seen Jerusalem brought back and given to Israel. And now we've got an American president-elect saying, it is the capital of Israel. How close are we? <laughs> Some say a generation is 50 years. If that's true, 50 and 67 equals what? 1967, 50 years from there would be what? I didn't say that, you did. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, 2017. Next year, maybe. I don't know. But even if it's a few years after that, we're close. Yeah. And there's going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. Hallelujah. And we're going to meet, meet him over there 
in a home beyond the sky. Hallelujah. And what joy there will be, never heard by mortal ear. We'll be glorious, I do declare. And God's own son, he'll be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're making plans for, but I'm looking for the coming of my Lord. I'm looking for the, the sound of a trumpet. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's closer now than it's ever been. Hallelujah. Here is verse 10, chapter 13. It says, this is the faith and the patience of the saints. It won't be very much longer. But we must be patient and we must have faith because it's the only thing that's going to see us through. So whether we breathe our last breath or whether we're caught up in the air to meet the Lord, either way, we're going to be with him. Hallelujah. That's my hope. That's what I believe. Do you believe it this morning? Amen. We'll just stand here for you. We'll talk about Psalm 1 next time. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for those that are listening by way of the internet as well. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for what you are doing. I ask you that you would open our eyes and give us eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We thank you for the grace that you have given this nation and pray that we would use it wisely as the children of God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Father, I bless your people now and I ask you that you would keep them as they go. All they set their hand to do would prosper, that you would bless them, anoint them, and cleanse them. In Jesus' holy name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Turn around and love somebody. Amen. Meeting in the air.